welcome to the Exhaust Notes Podcast. What is good, everyone? Welcome to the Exhaust Notes Podcast, where every week we talk about some of the crazy things that Formula One has to offer. My name is Nick Ingvall. I'm with my guys, Todd and Rowett, and we have delivered some of the hottest takes ever in regards to Formula One over the past 40 or 50 episodes. I can't remember what number we're on. Basically, this entire season, as we introduce this podcast, and it's time for us to own up to just how incredible we were at predicting the future. So, guys, are you excited about this one or what? Sorry, I had to mute into the road by boys to men in honor of my late Panato. I thought it was her Latifi. Yeah. Now, yeah. what's your favorite go-to uh, sad boys to men song? Because I like Mama. Especially, if <laughs> I gave it to you already. Into uh, the road, you can't allow beat you that. back door uh, because you know we have to continue the weird porn streak that we've had the last couple of episodes. That's what she yeah, said. Thank you. Uh, and I know yep. this that when we did that hot takes episode, I believe it was you, Nicholas Joseph Engwell. I don't even know if that's your uh, middle name. Let's just go with it. I'm feeling, I'm feeling pretty froggy already. You'd put a picture of what I feel was the sun's surface as the cover art for that episode. <laughs> I actually had to look this up as Todd and you were chatting. I feel it's only appropriate that for this episode, we should put the planet Hoth from Star Wars. Because, my God, these hot takes, they believe in climate change. That's all I'm going to say. Yes, yes. <laughs> should we start the punishment? Man. Let's do it. You'll be, if you want to stop here and go back and listen to our hot takes fresh, we'll put a link in the description wherever you're listening to this episode. But we're going to go through them, too. That way, you know what we said. We did take notes just to make sure. But who wants yep. who? How do we want to start? Who wants to be the guinea pig here? I, I got to jump in here. Uh, you, Ro, you just gave me a fantastic idea. Before next season, when we do our hot takes, we have to agree on a punishment for the one that has the most wrong oh. hot takes. Kind of like a fantasy right. football style punishment. Oh, I got it. How about we take an unusually large amount of V's hot sauce because he's part of our extended family and there's nothing I love more than corporate synergy. So maybe that's an early contender for that, but we can talk about it. I'm not opposed to it. We'll figure it out, but we have to do uh, some sort of fantasy yep. style punishment for last place in the realm yep. of hot takes I'm, in, I'm with that idea okay so let's just do this my thought is we go over the hot take i want to give the author of said hot take 30 seconds to walk us through what they were thinking about with regards to hot take and then we will be the judge jury and executioner and let you know whether your hot take was scorching hot or frigidly cold sounds fair okay and because, Nick Engvall, this is the house that you built, we're going to go ahead and just go with you. So your very first hot take was, Lando Norris will have six podiums with two wins. Defend your hot take. I can't even <laughs> defend that. I mean, I just thought McLaren would come more prepared for this season than they did. And, and Lando, can... to be fair, Lando drove what I think was like a potentially average car on the high end of potential it is average meaning um but yeah I, it, it was really just me fanboying for for lando and hoping for the best 
but I will say this, the McLaren marketing blitz was probably the most prevalent because nobody else got a Lego set. Nobody else had that Google sponsorship. Nobody else had the two most charismatic men on the grid with Lando and Danny Rick. We were all smitten. We were all charmed by them. We were all hoodwinked. We were all bamboozled. So I get it. I didn't necessarily think either one of them would be as prolific as Nicholas's hot take, but I, I'm, I'm here to support my friend. Todd, go ahead. I'm going to I'm gonna add in, in Nick's defense here because they went from two, pro- season, two seasons ago, they got a P5 in the championship, and then a P4 in the championship. They should have. They were on their way. Their trajectory was showing that. And then it was like a a down year for Danny Rick the the year before. So we thought, okay, bounce back, new regulations, new cars. Holy shit, did that not go to plan. But that being said, if you want to kind of give yourself half a point, besides drivers in the top three cars – he had the best drive all year. He got the absolute maximum out of, and I think you're being generous when you say a midfield potential car. Like the fact that he was like, he was like the, the George Russell consistency level of P7. Cause he was always like qualifying P7 and finishing the race in like six, seven, eight. Yeah. And, and as I think about it, probably the, the reason that, as a longtime race fan, the Gulf livery on those cars like instantly pulls me in like a tractor beam from, you know, Hoth. Um, but it, it, I should have known. I should have known. It's okay. Hey, you're in a safe space. You're amongst <laughs> friends. Do we give Nick? No, we don't give Nick any points. That was atrocious. Next take. Next take. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I will say this. As bad as that take was, this next one was equally good. And once again, Nicholas Engvall, Yuki Sonoda, and Mick Schumacher will score points. Now, what led you down this road? Well, hope, obviously. <laughs> A new hope, like in Star Wars Episode Four. Yes. I mean, Wait, I, I feel like Mick Schumacher was – the thought process around Mick scoring points was like Haas, Haas was coming out of the gates pretty, you know, like they looked pretty good preseason to me for, for what we saw last, the last, you know, year at least with Yuki. Definitely just, I just want to see him in F1. I like him as a human being. He's entertaining to me. So I guess there was a little wishful thinking there in just the more points Yuki has, the the more, possibility that he's around for for 2023 i respect it because you know what you got both those right todd what do you want to add to the probably one of the only hot takes we got correct and now in hindsight was this even a hot take i dare i say lukewarm at best i was just trying to think back because we both after watching the preseason i think we did this prior to we might have testing I've actually I feel like it was right after testing because I remember and this is a bit of a foggy memory but I I remember all of us being pretty down on Haas and AlphaTauri after testing we had that like whole uh Yuki with the fastest lap on one one day 
were like in the top, I don't know, two or three of the times on a certain day of testing pretty early on. And then it was because he had his DRS open, like, I don't know, 40 feet too early or something. So he got a couple of tents there. Um, but I remember us being pretty down bad on both of those teams. So that was, uh, it's not a super we'll hot take, some, but we're in the positivity business. We're trying to, inspire. The, the fact that that's probably the only one that all of us got right out of the entire collection of hot takes, I think we should count it for ourselves. No, I was going to say this. Spoiler alert, I read ahead because I'm the nerdy kid in class that likes to try to impress the teacher by reading ahead. Nick got a couple of these right. I'm just throwing that out there. So I, he's not going to be one that needs the points is all I will say. So we, so we recorded the original hot takes. We did a mid-season hot takes also adjusted some of these we didn't replace any hot takes we just added more hot takes yep but we recorded on the 15th of or we published on the 15th of february so i'm assuming we recorded like 13th or 14th somewhere in there i think that's pre testing pre-season testing yeah it could have been either way I, I i do agree so then uh, this was not a like scorching hot take. This was this was a safe play for my own heart and my own mental health. And gentlemen, I just looked it up. <laughs> per Formula One schedule 2022, testing commenced on February 23rd through the 25th. So it was like the week before, roughly. That okay. that discredits me well, even more because blind. that means that I makes, still had hope makes- for Haas. <laughs> yes. So let's let's do that. Nick, you get plus one for that. <laughs> Speaking of plus one, I think you you're gonna get another plus one because your next pick was Charles Leclerc will win one race. Thoughts behind this? Probably an undersell on your part based on how the season went for young Charlie Elf. Well, it depends on if you take it in a positive <laughs> or negative context. As in, Charles Leclerc is only going to win one race, or he's going to win at least one race. I will read this verbatim off, and it just says, Charles Leclerc will win one race. There's not even a period or an exclamation mark at the end. It is truly an ambiguous sentence, because Nick knows what drives content. (laughs) And what drives content is ambiguity and wiggle room. So Nick, wiggle away. The only thing I could have done better to get more engagement on this take is spell something wrong. Charles Leclerc will win one race. I feel like that's a shot at me, but I'm going to take it because I do spell things wrong. I'm the worst Indian ever when it comes to spelling. I've let a whole nation and ancestry down. But go ahead, Nick. Talk your shit. I mean, that's the quickest way to to boost your numbers on social media, right? Spell something wrong and you got 30 people jumping on your page to tell you that it's spelled wrong. So, uh, And there's nothing inherently more Ferrari than spelling something wrong on the way of hitting send on a really fire tweet. I mean, I definitely was thinking that, that he would... At this point, I didn't think he was going to be as good as he was. Like, I didn't think he would come out of the gates as strong as he did. Um, So the one the one win was actually like. Yeah, in a positive, positive context, context. Um, the fact that he won three. Okay. if you remove, you know, 10 races from the year, 15 races from the year, the fact that he won three is great. The fact that he botched 10 or 15 races this year with the help of his, you know, fearless Ferrari team. I mean, in hindsight, it's like super disappointing. I mean, I, after the first two or three races, I just thought Leclerc was, was going to give Max a run this season. Like it really seemed like there was a chance. Cause 
remember Ferrari was one of the only cars that wasn't bouncing up and down porpoising, you know, the first two or three races. Like it was, it was still a little bit, but it was so minimal compared to everyone else, even the Red Bulls. So. But don't you remember that preseason testing shot mm-hmm. that they showed a thousand times of the slow-mo of Carlos Sainz doing the porpoising? I feel like they had an equal issue with it, but they weren't affected like lap time wise by it. Yeah, that's true. I do. I do remember that. I mean, they they definitely weren't like struggling. I mean, the Mercedes cars were like, you know, basically bottoming out on the straights for no reason. And like, (laughs) yeah. yeah, And the drivers are basically saying, Hey, this is not safe for us to do. So, but I guess that leads us into the next, the next hot take. It does. And after going back to back like lethal weapon co- uh, covers, welcome back to normalcy, Nick. Because your next take was both Mercedes drivers will win at least one race, and they will end up winning a third race. You just wouldn't commit to who. Thoughts behind this? Because for a while, I thought this was going to happen, especially how the last couple of weeks of the season panned out. I mean, I know that we're we're all you know somewhat Lewis stands. And we are very friendly towards optimism when it comes to Mercedes. But the fact that like Mercedes, I, I at this time looking at Mercedes and seeing like, okay, maybe they're not on, on par with everything else that's going on in formula one. I still expect them to be a top tier team and figure it out. Like I, f- I don't feel like they figured it out this year. I think that they figured it out. Maybe maybe by the end of the year, they figured some of it out, right? But the fact that they didn't have three wins between the two of them, and they have, you know, I mean, look, Todd has said many times, Russell is one of the most consistent drivers on the grid. Obviously, Lewis is one of the greatest drivers of all time. The fact that they couldn't manage even two wins between the two of those guys, you know, I don't know. I, I, I still go back to a few weeks ago. Toto's just got a phone in remotely for every race and Mercedes will win again. So <laughs> I just want to see Toto on a beach next season. He was yep. sitting at home. Toes in the sand. He, yeah, but he's still going to be like texting him <laughs> death threats the entire time from the beach. I will kill you. Um, but so this was a, this was a hot take that was Nicholas added mid season. If yeah. I do yes. remember correctly. Um, so I feel like at the midseason break, especially because of the upgrade they had right before the midseason break, they showed a lot of positivity and all the signs and all like the journalists and saying and stuff were saying, uh, you know, they're going to come back super strong, especially uh, Spa. They were all hyping up Spa that they were going to have a chance because of the upgrades and yada, yada, yada. And then they uh what was it lewis dnf'd and george got uh well george got p4 so not bad but they 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 weren't anywhere near that as we know how the season played out but you just said like a pretty critical thing is like or brody you did um the last few weeks of the season it felt like they were coming on song a little bit and they should have at least had that too. That second win, what was it? 
Not Mexico. Mexico, they were slow as hell. What was after that? For the big board, yes. Brazil. Lewis Hamilton's second home race. Yes, yes. Well, actually, didn't George win No, Brazil? George won... Uh... Wait, what the hell am I thinking No, you're of? right. George, I believe, won Brazil. And Lewis came in third at Abu Dhabi. As well as Mexico. Yeah, yeah. it was Mercedes one two in Brazil, right? Yeah, yeah. So I, I mean, I, I think one more race in the season they could have had, could have had two probably. It felt like that that they were on that upward trajectory as performance wise. So you were close, but still wrong. So so wrong. Speaking of so so wrong, let's go to the next portion of the hot takes, and now that. And this one broke my heart a little when I read it back. And that was Nick being the eternal optimist that he is. Sebastian Vettel or Fernando Alonso will get one podium this year. And as I'm going through this list, there's probably a hot take I feel no sadder about than this one not coming to fruition. Because I think we all were crying tears of joy, sadness, and a combination of both when it came to both of these guys. Whether it be Vettel's dignified victory lap into the big... Actually, I don't want to say that because that makes it sound like he died on track, which isn't the case. But I think I had more joy laughing at all the points Fernando Alonso left on the table. But Nick, talk to me. How disappointed are you that this one did not come to fruition? I mean, super disappointed now, right? I We didn't know that Vettel was going to retire at this point when we were adding these hot takes. He didn't announce it until three, four races later, right? So, I mean, the last few races, I just wanted to see him and Lewis on the podium together. Like that was like kind of the, the, the final wish for, for his career for me, because those guys were so, you know, they, they pushed each other so much for so many years that I just thought it would be cool to see. And we, it felt like it was a possibility there for, for a race or two. Right. Um, but I mean, I, I also thought this thinking that Fernando would just retire at the end of the year instead of refusing to give up a seat. So, um, I mean, I don't know by, you know, 2028, you know, maybe we can have the same conversation around Fernando. If he, uh, was he, he'll, he should be 50 by then. Right. He'll be close to 50 by you know, at another five, six years. He'll <laughs> <laughs> be close. Yeah. That's, that is a sad, uh, sad hot take now. Not so much for the Fernando thing. Like you said, Ralph, I actually enjoyed, in a slightly sick way about him bitching about all the points he he had lost. Um, not that I dislike Fernando at all. Oh, he's, I think he's amazing, but uh, it was bittersweet. Maybe just because I dislike Alpine. Maybe that's what it was. Um, but yeah, Vettel retiring. I just I was just checking the season results. The best he had, he had two P sixes all season, which is like a. I mean, that's great. I think any young driver would be stoked on having two P6s in like their rookie year or whatever. But for Seb to go out like that and then like just to stick the knife in one one final time, they just botched the strategy in the final race. And I think it was awesome to see him still pissed about it in like the post-race interview. And he's like more worried about the strategy than he is about like his final interview. Um, but... 
Yeah, that's that's just Put it sad. this way. I think Lance Stroll would chew his dad's arm off for two sixth place finishes this year. Yeah, as long as it's not the one that cuts the checks, right? Oh, that doesn't matter. You can attach that shit, <laughs> or we can at Bernie's it. Just yeah. hold the arm as it writes. He's a billionaire. He could just yeah. probably buy a new arm. Very Winter Soldier possibility where he can just have a cybernetic one. <laughs> Speaking of terrible segues, let's go ahead and go to the next section on the hot takes list. And I believe we've entered the Todd Engvall zone. Oh, God, Lee, I combined you into one super amazing. <laughs> we are one superhuman F1. Todd Yates. Talking head. What were your thoughts when you said Ferrari were going to win the Constructors title before even a single lap was raced <laughs> I I felt like they were going to build a super fast they car did. which they did one lap pace probably the quickest car if you look at the polls right Tw- uh, Charles Leclerc had like 12 polls I think Carlos Sainz had another couple so I had a I felt like it was their year to come back after the down years and then the fuel fuel gate strategy or fuel gate conspiracy, whatever. It's not really a term that wasn't ever used, but I just made that up. Um, so I felt like they were going to build a super fast car and they were going to finally be on top with probably one of, I think I thought at that time, maybe the best driver pairing on the grid. Um. And they they did if it, if they could not botch the strategy or break or like you know explode the engine or plan E for explode or talk to them um, as they overtake somebody. Yeah, that's where I was. I think it was. I think it was a hot take at the time, and now it seems like an even hotter take. Pun I will say this though, to your point, Ferrari would be very happy not knowing the context of this season to end up in second in the constructors. It's just my goodness, it's the most tragic second I can think of in a long time. And it's gonna be really interesting to see how they do next year because now they have the heaviest weight on them all, which is expectations. They had relatively no expectations this season. And that's why I think as much as this hurts, if they go through the entirety of next year with the ex- Expected inflated expectations of being a competent fast car, and then they shit the bed the way that they have this season. I don't think they can come back from that. Call it now is like mm-hmm. so. Question and semi news related. We found out today that Harry Potter and Ferrari have parted ways. And is that going to put more expectation on them or less? I think internally, they still expect to win every race that they ever set foot on. Externally, and they've got probably the most friendly media presence in terms of you have people that will always scapegoat for them. I think they'll be fine because it's also going to be predicated on who's their new hire. I think unless they get an established property within Formula One that commands respect right off the bat, I think it's going to be viewed as almost a transitional year because you've got to get this new person up to speed in what is probably the trickiest job in all of Formula One, which is being the principal for Ferrari. Absolutely. The Chamber, chamber of Fear. <laughs> no, Chamber of Fear. Don't, 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 you, That's, don't you dare. I'm just, 
going back to uh like 90s ferrari and then like mid 2010 like 2010s ferrari they had the very much the enzo ferrari way of doing things it's like i'll kill you if you don't win kind of thing so it was like you know win or you're fired like they've had five team principles since the turbo hybrid era started so the most on of anyone on the grid so i i just think i feel like they're setting themselves up for failure and hurting themselves by doing this um because if anything the expectation was Bonato to get them back to the front, which he did, and then they sacked him for it. Do you think that, I mean, well, technically he quit on his own, right? But in the media, he's And as a diabetic, I quit eating sugar on my own as well. Yeah, exactly. Yep. But (laughs) to be fair, looking at just this season, Aside from like Ferrari's storied dedication to, you know, Italian race engine or, you know, team principal and all that. The things that happen within the Ferrari pit and team and all of that stuff, I wouldn't expect anyone to survive that. Like how many times, how many times did we hop on, on the podcast and say, yeah, Charles and Carlos drove an amazing race, but the strategy was completely botched. Charles and Charles and Carlos drove amazing, but the car blew up. Like there were only maybe three or four actual things that were like Charles's fault or, or, or Carlos's fault. Right. Everything else was Obviously, team, you know, I, I just feel like I, it had to have been chaos behind the scenes in order for those things to continue to happen and never address them in a way that made them better. So I, I just don't see him surviving any kind of season like that. I don't think anybody would have, you know, like uh, to your point, like he he definitely brought them to a, a much better place than they've been in the last four or five years. But it was it was it was more on the disappointing side of the scale than it was on the you know accomplishment side of the scale in my opinion with ferrari this year i think that's fair quick before we leave this topic give me a name that you would want to take over ferrari in terms of ushering them back into an era of competency i'm not even going to say an era of winning Ross Brown. I mean, that would be amazing. I just don't think that happens. I don't think he. he yeah. <laughs> no, I mean he he was in charge of what, like six titles yeah. under Schumacher, yeah. something like that. Uh, um, no, he already said like he's he's out out on Formula One. I think that was announced this week. Um, I, I think the only respectable choice is Fred Vasseur from Alfa, Alfa Romeo or Sauber or whatever you want to call him. Um. He's the only one that's been linked to a a position so far. If they promote from within, I don't see that going well, even though they have a bunch of obviously very smart, smart dudes over there. They need some Toto or Christian politician that kind of rules with an iron fist, I think, to be to be successful. And Fred Versor seems kind of like that 
no bullshit kind of yeah, guy. I agree so with that. I think he's the only. I just, I just don't think he's guy. charismatic enough. I think one thing Ferrari desperately needs is somebody to take and shoulder that blame the way Horner can, the way Wolf can. I don't know if Fred Vassar can do that because I don't think he's had the enough reps as the principal of Alfa Romeo. I don't think anybody outside of those two are Teflon enough to take on whatever ineptitude Ferrari shows and then just spin it the way that only those two can. And in fact, I would probably say Christian Horner gets a blank check. That's how I would operate things. Because if I'm truly Ferrari and I'm truly winning, let's make the Red Bull a little uncomfortable. And the best way you can make Red Bull uncomfortable off the track is start taking away the talent. And it's something we've noticed with the engineers, but we've never seen that type of poaching of a manager or a driver in the modern sense, at least that I'm aware of. What do you guys think? I think that's really interesting. They they trade Charles Leclerc. Perez and Horner? (laughs) No, not even Perez and Horner, just Horner. They find another driver. It's like the 2000... I, I just want to let the record show that trading a coach Todd for a Yates player. is the one that's kicking Danny Rick out of Formula One for next season because if they get Leclerc, I'm assuming Sergio Perez becomes a reserve driver, and then what does that leave Daniel Rick doing? That, that would never happen. If anybody is safe at Ferrari, it's Charles Leclerc. He's the prodigal son. Yeah. He is beloved. But yeah, I don't think they. I to, to respond to that, Horner is Red Bull. He feels like he's been there since the beginning of the team when they bought Jaguar. 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 Um, he, I think he cares more about his legacy as Red Bull at this point than he would about being dominant. Even if he saw like a huge weak link in Red Bull and they were going to be shit for the next five years, I feel like he would care more about his legacy. Yeah, because if he goes to another team, he can't be like, oh, we just make energy drinks. We don't make cars. By the way, I think that is some of the finest Jedi mind tricking that I've seen a Formula 1 principal try to employ. You would be absolutely right, because, but except for the fact that you've won, what, four titles with Seb, and now you've won six with uh, Max, and... Outside of Lewis, you are the most consistent winner of the modern era of Formula One. So BS to you. You're more than just an energy drinks provider at this point. But I like the us against the world mentality you're trying to instill within your group, Christian. We're still the underdog, but we've we've been whooping everyone's ass. But it's basically that's that's the thing though. Like they they spend more than probably what six of the teams, five of the teams, you know, like their budget is nowhere near bottom tier or like we're just struggling we're struggling to make this rich energy you know octane booster work for us i was gonna say even the name of your team bull when has a bull in any sort of sense been an underdog unless we're talking about ferdinand the bull and really that's just him being an emotional underdog also you have two teams on the grid two teams potentially three Uh, we'll get into that but i wanted to say one thing let's not get ahead of ourselves okay if there's one thing i hate it's a show that goes off the limits and if you guys know anything about me when i try to facilitate the show it stays very much on track limits all right next topic i want to say one thing though the thing that ferrari is missing is that person that is like that is like just i don't want to say ruthless but like i think bonato is amazingly entertaining he seemed like a really good dude but you need 
you need the fire. You can't like, you know, Christian Horner can't is going to walk over everyone unless you're total wolf, right? Like you need that person that's going to get in the ring with both those guys. If you're going to put a car at the front of the grid consistently, you need to play the politicalness of formula one. You need to be in each of their heads thinking, you know, what they're thinking about and predicting all those things. And I just don't think that, that Bonato had that mindset or that drive. I don't know if that's the right word, but I don't know. Todd, last word. They had that. They had that in, I just looked up his name because I couldn't remember it. Arriva Bene, which is like Italian. Like he was just, he's, he is Italy. They had a, a Maurizio Arriva Bene prior to Bonato, and he was Mr. Rule with an Iron Fist. Started in 2014, and he was like cutthroat, political, all that crap, and it didn't work. Yeah, but, I was just going to say, that, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, did it not work because you're talking about like Lewis and Mercedes coming into their run of greatness or did it not work because of the drivers that they had at that time also? Right. I, I just think that like, like we talk a lot of shit about Christian Horner, but like at the end of the day, what he does gets the job done. Right. The same thing mm-hmm. with Toto Wolf it's not easy to navigate these egos. It's not easy to navigate this sport because as much as you might think that it's 20 guys with massive egos in cars, the entire sport is filled with nothing but egos. Like it is the most egotistical thing on the face of the planet. Just look at any, any grid and watch people walk past, you know, any like, Oh, like we're too good to talk to anyone on the grid mentality. And I think that's, that's why you need to have somebody that's like at least willing to, I, I don't know if fight back is the right thing, but like, you know, you need to be able to, to drop some gems on, on the, uh, you know, the virtual timeline that is the, the, the Formula One starting grid. I need you to lead the league in Bless Your Hearts, because right now Christian <laughs> Horner does that. Toto Wolf did that for a little bit. <laughs> Whoever you are. Was that a shot at Brad no, Pitt? That's not a shot at Saying I'm too good to talk to anybody on the grid. I would never do that. Brad is a native Missourian like myself. We have a lot of things in common. We're both generationally handsome men. We are infinitely charismatic. We both love Formula One. (laughs) But we also love moving on to the next topic, which is if there isn't anything more indicative of Valtteri Bottas losing his place in the running order, it's this. Todd, you said he was going to qualify in a podium for two times. How did that go for you? It did not go well. However, before Alpha shit the bed, I will remind you of his race finishes, which was a P6. He DNF the second race. A P8. No, seven. Sorry, P7. uh, A P5. A P6. Another P, I don't know, P7, P6, uh, P9, and then 11th, and then 8th, or sorry, 7th again. Yeah. So. He was on the trajectory. He was there. There, thereabouts in the beginning of the season before Alpha shit the bed and gave up on development or just developed their car in the wrong way. He was there, and he still has his chops if he's in a. 
in a fast enough car. We are, we already know about Terry. He's much like the car, the Ferrari car that he's very fast over one lap, but usually falls apart in the races. So that's why I went for qualifications. And if he has a car underneath him, I think he's there. Obviously, uh, they went downhill in the second half of the season, but I wasn't too far off. I didn't hit it, but but we had to quit it. So we'll move on. <laughs> uh, I think this next one might be your penultimate one. It is. You had proclaimed that after a decent run of form, Mercedes would leap over Ferrari in second place in the constructors. What we know is, alas, it was Ferrari somehow managing not to shit the bed as they have shat the bed all throughout the season. They remained in second and Mercedes was in third. I thought this was one that was going to come to fruition, Todd. So walk me through this. I mean, like we talked about with their going into the summer break and their their pace upgrades, whatever you want to call it, <clears throat> all of a sudden – and then everyone hyping them up over the summer break. Uh, maybe I got a little bit of the bug there. But to be fair, they definitely closed the gap, if not overtook that uh, on some races. Definitely. Um, they still had their track-specific weaknesses, just like every other car does, but they definitely had big track-specific weaknesses. So... They were, I think, if they had a little bit of better showing in Mexico and uh, the final race of the season, they could have been there. Could have. And if Ferrari shit the bed like we thought they were going to for the no, rest of the year. I so. really wish that Russia wasn't going to be Russia and we would have got a 23rd race because I think that would have solved a lot of these hot takes and actually made a lot of them come to reality. Because I think if you do include one more season or one more race in the season, Mercedes shows their class. Nick, how do you feel about Mercedes and their overall positioning with regards to how they started this season versus how they ended? I mean, I just want to confirm that if we did have one more race, all of our hot takes would be a hundred percent on regardless of whether that's that feasible or not. Saying, but, that's know. all that was missing from our hot takes. I don't think Lando can podium six times in Russia, though. In Soviet Russia, podiums take you. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I thought, I thought Mercedes was going to be way better than they were by the end of the year, especially like at this point, halfway through the season. I was like, okay, they're going to turn it on now. Like, like Todd said earlier, we expected big things in Spa, but yeah, I mean, I, I guess like. I'm happy that Ferrari didn't completely shit the bed. We've got to stop making that a full-on phrase of Ferrari shitting the bed. That's like yeah. it's almost turning into one of those stereotypical Native Native American names, like runs with scissors. Actually, I don't know why I said runs with scissors because scissors weren't a part of. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to all our indigenous friends. I mean, the, the good thing would be like if 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 we had a website and we wrote all of these things instead of spoke them. We would own the search results for Ferrari shitting the bed, which would probably get a lot of search. We'd probably get a lot of traffic. Maybe not. Oh. We could make merch of just like a red shirt <laughs> oh, with no, a bed no, no. and shit in one it. And then we I have would a just red adult that. diaper that just has Ferrari, but spelled with three R's. So that way they can't, and we can say it's a parody. So then they can't sue us because that's the name of the game in modern day merching. Just don't get sued. <laughs> Shout out to Nathan Fielder and Dumb Starbucks because you truly set the bar, my dude. (laughs) 
Speaking of setting the bar, this last one, Todd, I think this might be the most outrageous, sassiest thing you've committed to the hot take sheet. So I will just say that you said not one, not two, but three teams would be over your beloved McLaren. Alpine, Haas, and Alfa Romeo. Now, when the dust actually settled, it was just Alpine over McLaren. So in a way, I feel like this is a win for you, but I don't think you're going to get the hot take point. Um. This is just like the – this is Taylor Swift writing a breakup album. That's what this this comes out as, right? This is this is right when we found out about DR getting the boot um, or like it pretty much was finalized at that point. And it turns out that they actually took the picture in Austria in the midseason break anyway. So this is uh, – yeah, this is just pure spite. I was I – was, uh, I was sour on my orange, my papaya, I should say, uh, at that time. And, uh, I mean, the run of form, like, honestly, if Lando didn't have the season that he had, then uh could have happened. But Alpine, Alpine did it, brought me justice. I miss you, Danny. <laughs> I was going to say, if you could compare, which one of Taylor Swift's uh, exes would you compare McLaren to? Because obviously in this sick, dark, twisted fantasy, Danny Rick is Taylor Swift. Like, is McLaren Tom Hiddleston? Is it Harry Styles? Is it, like, who, oh, no. who are we dealing with here? Oh, let's, no. let's try to get that female demographic to truly cross over the way that only I know you can, Todd Yates, international sex symbol. <laughs> The fact that you just rattled off so many of her exes off the top of your dome there is uh, impressive and scary. That's an name um, in my body. Did But I will re- respond with a question. Did she ever date John Mayer? Yes, Because I feel like did. that happened. She, she, it's 100% John Mayer. Mayer. It's 100% John Mayer? I think oh, he, yeah. yeah. Is that what yeah. you're going to say, 100% Nick? John Mayer. <laughs> Cause it, cause it's please lay down reasoning. That cause it, cause sense, it's cause I got like nothing. John Mayer and Taylor Swift had the dating and like, you know, usually when you have two, uh, you know, incredible artists or an incredible <laughs> driver and an incredible team, they come together to create something even more amazing. But in the case of John Mayer and Taylor Swift, the partnership only resulted in one song and her only singing basically a backup hook, which, I mean, arguably she's one of the most popular artists in the world. And, and John Mayer was still like, mm, I'm not going to let you actually sing a verse on this. I, you, can, you can sing backup for me on this album, but uh, just this one time. You cute, though, is what you're essentially saying Taylor Swift got relegated to. Yeah, exactly. No, I was just going to say this. I feel in the McLaren-Danny Rick relationship, McLaren was a bit parasitic. They were trying to siphon off some of that fame and some of that charisma that we have Danny Rick to account for in terms of bringing popularity to the sport. And I think they successfully transferred that over to Lando because Lando is now the crown prince of all things Formula One goofiness and meme-worthy. So good job, McLaren. You took the life force out of our man right there, but... Who's to say? Maybe he's going to make waves next year as the Red Bull reserve driver. I mean, you know, God bless John Mayer. He did the same thing. Taylor Swift's going to be on the album. You're going to sell a hell of a lot more albums. But then when you realize that Taylor Swift wasn't really on the album. Quick prediction from both of you. Do you think they will sell Danny Rick reserve driver merch next year for Red Bull? 
I don't think they will, but they absolutely should. Mm. Oh, that's the epitome of, hey, you get to sing one hook on our album. Like, yeah. like give him one t-shirt. Just give him one. He'll get one outing yeah. in free practice. He's going to be over at Red Bull like, it's me. I'm the problem. It's me. Just waiting for his seat to come back so he can speed Which will lead to a great him. debut um, album from Danny Rick when he retires from the sport. <laughs> I just, my favorite Taylor Swift song is the one where the music video is her living next door to the cute boy and singing to him through the window. I just picture Danny Rick being Taylor Swift with the guitar, looking at Christian Horner lovingly, longingly, and be like, let me in. She she wears t-shirts. I'm cheer captain and I'm on the bleachers. I don't know. Like, I've already kind of shown my ignorance in the matter, but let's make this happen. Otherwise, I'm not going to call him a... Uh, the honey badger anymore. I'm just going to go home D Swift because at this point that's who he is. He's Danny Swift. <laughs> okay. I got nothing and to nor say. Should you. I think let's let that die some more. All right. Now we are finally onto the last third of the tour, which is my hot take. So do one of you guys want to give me the right act the way I gave you two, or should I just kind of self interrogate? All right. Yeah, I'll give it to you. So you started with, I think, a pretty hot take in the realm of the history of Formula One, but it felt like maybe not so hot of a take at the time because we had so much unknown with the new regulations. But you did say that we're going to have eight different winners this year and even went on to name them with Hamilton, Russell, Verstappen, Perez, Leclerc, Sainz, Norris, and Gasly. I'll give you the results and then Please. you can plead your case as to what that was or what, what you think, where you think you mm-hmm. went wrong. Let's say uh, we had five winners. They were Max Perez, Sainz, Leclerc, and right. Russell. So I give you the floor. How do you defend having such a statistical anomaly of, of eight different winners? That's in one fair. Season? Uh, you know, I am, I've been podcasting now with Nick Engvall for what feels like three years, four years. And that youthful, exuberant enthusiasm that he has for every facet of life, some of that rubbed off on me in this particular hot take. <laughs> now, as we all have the gift of hindsight, we can know that we cannot count on anything AlphaTauri with regards to this year. So that eliminates Gasly. I also like to think there was a bit of a contact high next to being next to Nick Engvall when he made the, made the bold proclamation that Lando Norris was going to have six podiums with two wins. That probably accounted for one of the wins in my hypothetical scenario. Signs got me the one. I'm surprised actually he even got one considering how bad Ferrari were, which that's another dead horse we've beaten into the ground probably for the past 50 episodes. Leclerc did great. Perez, we expected that as the number two. Verstappen obviously won as many as he did and set the new record. Russell, I thought out of the two Mercedes drivers, he would be the dark horse to get the win over Hamilton because everything we heard about Lewis this year was, oh, he just doesn't have it. This is a transitional year. But that being said, you're always going to give the vindictive ex-champ an expectation of winning a title or winning a race. I'm sorry. He he hasn't done anything yet to win the title, but he should have won one race. I stand by my eight. Maybe if we run this scenario in terms of simulation – nine more times, maybe I'll get two scenarios where there'll be eight, but I was okay with that. I think we all had higher hopes for, for Pierre at the beginning of the season. We, 
We did. It was a love fest, especially from your side with the the Yuki Pierre bromance and how much you were in love with the. I feel like Honda of crept into that yeah. relationship a little bit. So it was a little I mean, bit the of same a thing happened with with Lando but, and Danny Rick and McLaren. I mean, how can I not love two guys just rowing out and racing fast cars? When it comes to Formula One drivers. <laughs> I thought you were going to go in a totally different direction with how can I not love two guys just going. Two guys, one um, car. This means different things to Nick Angle. <laughs> two drivers, one steering wheel. All right. Um, so I'll accept your answer. I think it was, I think it was a, like a, not a scorching hot take, but I felt like at the beginning of the season, there was so much unknown that it was a it was a solid take and you weren't that so, far so my not- question for you Roet, is would you would you go into 2023 with that same prediction i think i would go for seven winners and i think i would take gasly off as my de facto sacrificial lamb because i think hamilton will win one next year i expect all five of the gentlemen to win the race that we expected. So in this case, Max, Perez, Sainz, Charles, Russell. And I do think Lando Norris, it's a question of when and not if, when he wins that first race. So I'll go with seven for next year. Okay. Like it. Remember that. I'm already committing it to the old Google memory bank up here. (laughs) All right, moving on. You had... This was just probably the – I feel like this in the preseason wasn't a hot take, but turned out to be a very hot take. So you had three teams will score zero points, Williams, Alpha, and Haas. And the results were obviously no because all the teams scored points. But not only that, I just took a peek at the driver standings. The only person to drive this season that didn't score points was Nico Hulkenberg, and that was only for the first two races of the season, driving for Aston when their car was an absolute pig. So I feel like the universe gave you a big no, because we even had Nick DeVries, who only raced one race. The universe definitely gave me a middle finger on this one. I think it does kind of articulate what we expected with these new regulations, which was more competition. In this case, I made the error that I thought more competition meant more winners at the front end, not realizing that the more competition meant the points would be distributed across all 10 teams. So I will gladly take that middle finger that the universe is giving me because at the end of the day, these are the 20 best drivers. Actually, let's say 18 best drivers. Hi, Lance. Hi, Nicholas. That should get you at least that bare minimum of a point. So I stand corrected by it. I don't know if there's any way I could revise this hot take for next year's episode, but knowing me, I'll probably say at least one team will score no points next year. But it's early. That's what we call a tease in this industry. So you'll just have to listen to the next 40 episodes until we do our next hot takes episode to see if I actually stick to my word on this. (laughs) I love it. Nick, uh, anything to add on the... Or any in response to his somehow preseason preseason hot take. I mean, honestly, 
I think it's a credit to the to the rules. It's a credit to the FIA uh, as much as you know, we've been dogging on them a lot this year and saying they should break up with Formula 1. The fact that the fact that so many teams scored points is I can't remember the last time that every team, every almost every driver scored points. I mean, every regular driver has scored points. That's wild to me. How about this is a hot take. Next year, all teams will score double digit points. Oh, so like 10, 10 points or more. Yeah, that'd be a <laughs> can take. I mean, you know, Williams exists, yeah. right? I mean, like, you got pretty close to that this year, right? They got eight points. No, they had eight points. And I'm convinced if Nick DeVries was in half the races that Nicholas Latifi was in, they would get the bare minimum of those X amount of additional points. Like having him removed from their team will guarantee you at least five additional points. Mm. We'll have to do the math to see. Okay. Okay. So no, that's not as hot of a take. I make them seem like they're hot takes, but when you actually take a second step back from them, you realize it's the most lukewarm thing ever. It's very tepid. Shout outs to Wordle because that was a Wordle a couple days ago. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know people. I'm playing that that. until the wheels fall off. Like I'm all in. I play Octurtle, Duo Dirtle, which is like twelve Wordles simultaneously. I play Podal, which is like the NBA one. Just. Do you play F1? No, I haven't accumulated the skill set needed for that. But uh, there's one that I forgot what the name is. I think it's called Loodle, which is all dirty words. So the word was minge a couple weeks ago. (laughs) They're always British. That's why the fucking F1 one is so hard. Because like one was tires. (laughs) And I was like, oh, I got this. And then guessed tires wrong six times. Because it was the British spelling. <laughs> if if I may, like what happened? And you're like, okay, it's not I. Let me throw A in there. Like tires, it's just it's a Welsh term. Tears. Tears. Tears is a weight, is a form of weight, right? Weight man. That weight collapsed under you if you couldn't spell tires with the five additional guesses, my dude. Oh fuck. No. It's T I Y T I Jesus Christ, I can't even talk. T I R E S. Oh, man. We gave you bonnet. We accepted yep. that. Right. So, and uh, the only reason I knew that term was that infamous South Park episode with Oprah, which please don't sue us, Oprah. That was just a parody. <laughs> <laughs> Do you like fish sticks? <laughs> um, all right. So moving on. Uh, this one was was close. You I feel like this uh, one it should have been. Whoa, bro! This is a bit too much. Five drivers. Yeah, we did. I will take full acceptance of making fun of you for that because this was. I felt like at the time, um, just silliness. It wasn't even a hot take. It was just you just <laughs> verbal diarrhea on. At what's best, this happen. is a solid BM. So but, I would just like to take that for the record. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh, so your hot take was five drivers will leave the grid at the end of the season. Um, you didn't name no. which five, but we did have Seb. We miss you. Uh, Danny Rick. Thanks for being a friend. Uh, Mick Schumacher. Okay, whatever. And uh, Mr. Nutella himself, Nicholas Latifi. 
I mean, yeah. I thought Yuki would have been one of the culprits as well, but you know what? I'm happy for Nick's sake that he gets to stay on. I also was flirting with the thought that it could have been Fernando Alonso because I don't know, but then El Plan reared its ugly head and he's going to score 5,000 points next year for Aston Martin. I mean, the only other ones that could be vaguely interesting is maybe Lewis took a gap here, but we knew that was never going to happen. Uh, Guan Yu Zhou, my linguistic arch nemesis, if I've ever had one, I thought he may be due for a chop, but no, for the most part, he was pretty proficient and pretty professional as a driver. And as I'm just kind of going through the list right now, Mick made a lot of sense, but I almost expected Mick to kind of put Magnuson back into retirement and in actuality, the opposite happened. So like I said, I kind of stand by my five. I just thought... I was fortunate in the sense that four people decided to leave the grid. But if Seb hadn't made that call midway through the summer, then yeah, I think I would have been properly ridiculed for saying five. But as always, Seb, thinking of his fellow human beings, decided to throw your boy Roa bone. Weird question. Do you think, because you just said a very key word there, decided to leave the grid, do you think... Had the season finished as badly as it started for Danny Rick, would he have decided no, to leave the team? Absolutely not. I honestly think going into this season, he expected to be on par with Lando, if not beat him, because it goes back to one of the other overarching themes this episode and this sport has always kind of prided itself on. It's a sport of egos. It's a sport of kings and kingmakers. And if Danny Rick came into this season thinking, oh, I don't know if I'm going to hack it and I'm going to be 85% the driver that Lando is, he already lost before he set foot in the car. So if that was the case, he should have retired as opposed to making us go through the song and dance of watching two of my favorite people in the world come up with me a culpas every week to say, no, no, it's not you, Danny Rick, it's us. We're just not viewing you properly. We're just looking at things through our papaya-tinted glasses. Yeah, well said. Uh, R.I.P. All right, so I'm going to graze over this next one because there's no <laughs> That's got to be the last one we talk about. Okay, okay, so I'll go past that one then. Uh, Carlos Sainz will outscore Chuck Leclerc in the second half of the year. Final results, Chuck, 158, Carlito, And this was one of those mid-year predictions because I think at the time being, it felt like it was a very balanced duo. I know there's certain people in the Discord, High Iron Trev, that like to die on the hill, and right now they look like they're going to live on that hill, which is Charles is significantly better than Carlos. But if we are truly looking at last season, Carlos gave him a run for the money. And that's saying something because of the fact that, as Todd mentioned, Charles is a prodigal son. He can literally do no wrong. Carlos is visiting. The best comparison is Carlos is maybe the Jon Snow to Charles Leclerc's Rob Stark. But as we know, Rob Stark was the one that lost his head. And Carlos was the one, or John was the one that somehow made it through the entire series, even though he got killed that one time. But I digress. I'm getting really nerdy here. So I still maintain that I think Carlos Sainz is a better driver. And your, your traditional metrics like points and stats say Charles Leclerc is that. But I'm not going away with my gut on this one. I think Carlos is better. I'm okay, actually, with this hot take. I felt like that was a uh, a fair hot take. Like, I would have kind of guessed the same. And I think if had it not been for the DNFs that we saw with with Carlos, we had the, you know, the Japan crash. Uh, what did he – he got taken out in the U, uh, US, US race yep. at Coda. 
Wasn't he taken out? Yes, there he was. Um, and in fact, I'm looking at the amount of DNFs Carlos had this year. So one, two, three, four. Four through the halfway part, and then he had two catastrophic ones in Japan and USA at the end of the season where to the point that we were making, Charles Leclerc outscored him, but I think that gap was not as bad as it could have been had it been for the fact that I think also Carlos was qualified in podium positions for, I believe, both Japan and USA when he lost those races by getting DNF'd. I mean, Rohit, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually give you the point on this hot take because in my mind, Charles Leclerc gets a 50 point deduction for whining about being not able to pass. Not think about second place. Think about the championship. Think about, uh, please guys, please guys can't do that. Can I say that the MVP for me this year was, uh, if there's, here's a million dollar TikTok account idea for somebody taking all the, out of context, Charles Leclerc radio clips from this season, and then just applying them to everyday life. There you go. Like, I feel like you could do wonders with that because he was probably the greatest podcaster that never was. He was the prince that was promised because of no. <laughs> like the b- blood curdling scream. And I will say this going back to, a reoccurring theme we've also had, which was talking about Ferrari ad infinitum and ad nauseum. We talked about the fact that, you know, whoever their principal is in the future has to have a killer instinct. I'm thinking about it from the perspective of the four pillars of any race car team. You've got the two drivers, you've got the principal, and then you've got the support staff, which is your pit stop, your strategy. I would say this, and I hate saying this, but for Ferrari, the only one that I could say has a true killer instinct is Charles Leclerc. I don't think my guy Carlos has it in the abundance that Charles Leclerc does. We damn sure know it's not that support staff because if anything, what's the opposite of a killer instinct? They're huggers. They want to hug every opportunity. They don't want to drive a stake in the heart of it. (laughs) So little Italian kiss on both sides. Give it a nice Eskimo kiss. Who Eskimo kisses adversity? I'll tell you who Ferrari support staff. (laughs) (laughs) oh man okay and the last i don't know how you ended up with so many hot takes bro because i i think i'm missing one because nick had five i had four you have six you're just an overachiever you're just overachiever but uh the penultimate hot take for row is three podium places for non-top six team from now until the rest of the year and i think you meant like top three team but yeah. top six driver either way i was wrong because i think with the exception of lando norris getting a third i think every single race only had uh podiums from the top three teams which is a damning indictment in terms of competitive parity didn't we have fernando no. on a podium no, i don't think so i could be wrong in the first first half of the year no, i'm going through it right now takes, right <laughs> yeah the only oh wait yeah you're right that was one of your hot takes i could see we both thought that apparently but i mean that goes back to what we're saying so i guess moving away from the hot takes theme just for this one second because you guys do a great job indulging me now that we have the entire context of 
the front three, the midfield, the bottom however many. Did you guys think this was truly as competitive of a season as Formula One would want us to think at the start of the year? Ooh, that's a big question. With the exception of Max's dominance, yes. But that's a big exception. I, I agree with you. But, like, that's that's the way it is every time there's a so rule So the change. more things change, the more they're the same. Kind of, but, like, if you look at... 2021 was kind of an, an, an anomaly. They, there's always, like, convergence with development, right? So, like, the teams always get closer, and I think we'll see it even closer next year. But somebody always gets it more right mm-hmm. than the others do. Um, especially during a rule change year. So, and I didn't say necessarily Red Bull's dominance because if they had two Checo level drivers in that car, it would have been a lot closer with, mm-hmm. you know, uh, with Ferrari there. But Max's dominance aside, I think they were successful. The rule set was successful in the parody that we w- would wanted to see, especially like, Look at the midfield battling. We talked about it in several races this year, like cars going five wide into a turn in the beginning of a race in the midfield because they were they could follow each other. And then we had all those overtakes. And what was the stat that I said from the last race of the season? It was like more than – there was more overtakes in the last race of the season that, than the previous two races there combined mm-hmm. something like that yeah i mean i i think that it's it's unfortunate but this is this was a great season outside of max being so dominant right like like i said just a bit ago right you know i can't remember the last time basically every driver scored points like that's kind of absurd And, you know, that's what you want. I think that the biggest maybe asterisk to that is, uh, you know, we're coming off the absolute greatest season of all time, potentially, right? The high of last season, either side of what you're on, you know, whether you're a Lewis fan or a Max fan, that was as like just incredibly gripping as you're ever going to see in any sport ever. Like, I just don't think that there will ever be, you know, like as a fan, I can only remember a couple of seasons where it was like close into the last two races, you know, but to have it come down to something and to have the energy of millions of new fans, it's all, it's impossible to back that up, you know, like, Look, even even Jordan broke his foot his second year, you know, like it's just how it works. So, I mean, I think next year is going to be great. I think that, you know, Mercedes and Ferrari will move up and, and give Red Bull a little bit more of a run next year. And the rest of the midfield is going to be a lot tighter, even even with the changes. You know, the first I would say the first few races might be there might be some challenges because you've got some kind of fresh, fresh faces in the cars. Um, but you know, this, this year, uh, they gave us a lot to talk about, a lot to be excited about, you know, to Todd's point, like, you know, as, as like long, long time fans, 
you look at it a little bit differently than just being like, oh, Max dominated the whole year. Like, yeah, that is a little disappointing if you're not a Max fan. But ultimately, like when you get to see four or five cars, you know, fighting for, you know, uh, let's say half of the race, you know, like a majority of the time, these guys in the midfield are are literally going back and forth for the entire race or, or, you know, for half the race or more and stretch that out over more races this year than we've had before. You know, to me, I think it's, it's, you know, it's definitely moving in the right direction with all of this stuff. I think the only thing that could improve is obviously if Red Bull gained a third team, which is, you know, you know what? When we hit that 33 million new viewer mark, I think that's when we get that third team. <laughs> right? Well, we got we got to remember that Red Bull is just an energy drink maker. They don't they, they don't actually make cars, so but, but Nick, they make more than 3 flavors. They should get at least 3 flavors of race car. <laughs> just my hot take. And on that note, we should leave you guys. Way to cap it off. Oh, I see what you did there. Because if they were in a bottle, we would cap it off. Well done. That's the thing. thing. They make cans. And we're about to keep the can down the road. I mean, maybe like a a tenth of a point because we had Audi join this year and they're from Germany, which is part of Bavaria, which also includes Austria, which Can we normalize? You know how in football they have the Gatorade shower? I think for every single race from now until Christian Horner decides to hang it up, whenever Red Bull wins, he he needs to get doused in Red Bull as a celebratory win because he's not living the brand enough. Technically, that happens. Every time, though? So they always – yeah, they always do a post-race team photo. All the crew is holding a Red Bull can. No, but I'm saying like you get that industrial tub. Just fill it up with – just a giant, just a giant 50, you know, like 20 gallon Red Bull container. Take and just, one of those crypto chambers that I'm sure Dr. Helmut Marco has some poor young driver just growing out of like one of those test tubes and just fill that with like hot passion punch Red Bull and douse Christian Horner every time they win. <laughs> what if, what if, if uh, you know, if a team spends, you know, let's say a lot on catering, they have to run their cars on Red Bull instead of using traditional fuel. I like it. I like it. Might level. They'll come out with a new flavor that has an octane <laughs> <Right>. rating. <laughs> or here's here's the other punishment. Hey, I one race next year that they win, they have to go down as Team Four Loco because the <laughs> Four Loco is the antithesis of Red Bull in my mind. That's very accurate. It's Four Four Loco is comparable to Zima, right? Like, can we make that final note? Oh, wait, hold on. Zima was I don't delicious. know. I was in the fifth grade when Zima came out. <laughs> okay, that's just showing my age. But in high school, Zima with a couple of gummy worms in there. That might be the most high school drink I've ever heard you reference, Todd Yates. <laughs> yep. Yeah, yep. All right. Well, we did things differently. What was life like before the war, Grandpa? <laughs> <laughs> Back in my day, we walked up uphill to school both ways. Well, you see, or whatever when Taylor Swift released is. her first album. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. All right, we got to shake the haters off, guys. Nick, this where has can been they an amazing episode. They shouldn't be at this episode at this point. <laughs> this has been a fun one, though. This has been a really yes. fun one. Um, I'm looking forward to 
next season's hot takes. Honestly, we we should have figured out a way to do hot takes for the for the off season. Like, you know, who will be dating Taylor Taylor Swift? Who will be writing songs about Danny Rick's departure from McLaren? Who's going to replace Bonato? Now, I will say this. Uh, I was at Friend of the Pod and one of our other co-hosts at Sneaker History, Robbie's house, over Thanksgiving. And we did a five-round draft of who we think Tom Brady is going to date next. And if you join us on our Patreon, I'll share that news with you. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, we are salesmen. And we need you guys to like, rate, subscribe, all the things that we do, including joining our Patreon. I don't know how to. I don't know how, how we get any better than that. So we we might as well call it call it good and and tell them how to find us. <laughs> you can find me on Twitter for God knows how long at Rohizi. You can find me on all the other social medias. And I'm joined Be Real. I just joined Hive. I joined something called Mastodon. I can't figure out what the hell that is. I thought that was like a heavy metal group, but always the same <laughs> username Rohadm13. Todd, where can they find you? Uh. It's on Instagram at dadshoe.jpg, shoe spelled S-H-U-E. Uh, I'm still on Twitter as long as it exists at T-E-Z-F-1. And I will not be on any of those social media platforms because I'm older than dirt and can barely work my phone as it is. <laughs> I, on the other hand, will be on all platforms some way or another. I also tried Mastodon and realized that I should probably just go to Spotify and listen to them instead. And then uh, I did join Hive. I've been on Vero for the last few months. I am on. Are you on Me Hente? Like, <laughs> no. And I am not on. We 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 me be me. I don't remember I don't what the others are. Yeah, anyway, I... you can find me at Nick Ingvall on all the platforms, or at Sneaker History, or at Exhaust Notes FM, or at Crown and Stitch, or many other ventures. But most importantly. Exhaust Notes FM. Make sure you give us a, a rating uh, on Spotify and give us a review on iTunes so we can get some more listeners and spread more hot takes, blow some more hot air next season. We appreciate y'all. We'll catch you on the next one. Peace. Peace.